Hello, this is Amy. I just wanted to take a moment to share with you that Lauren's experiences with OCD and our conversation on mental health is based on our personal perspectives and experiences. So in other words, this episode shouldn't be taken as medical advice. It is just for informational purposes only. And as you know, each person is so unique. So please consult with your healthcare professionals for medical or health-related questions. Welcome to the Emerge Thriving Podcast, wellness designed for real life. In these conversations, we focus on topics that impact our everyday lives. Forgiveness, self-worth, resiliency, embracing self-care, the power of nutrition, and so much more. Life isn't always easy, but together we can take steps towards a thriving life. Today we're talking about living with OCD. Lauren Tilden, creator of the podcast Making Good, is joining us to share her experience and perspective on how OCD has impacted her life. Thank you for being with us, Lauren. We're so glad to have you. Before we get started, please feel free to introduce yourself to our listeners. Yeah, Amy, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to have this conversation. Like you said, my name is Lauren. I live in Seattle. I am a ex-marketer, corporate America marketer turned small business owner. So my first small business I started in 2017. It's called Good Sheila, and it's a stationary business. I sell greeting cards, final stickers, art prints based on my watercolor designs. And then almost exactly a year ago, I took over my mom's retail shop, which is in Seattle and online. So I've got those businesses, and then I started a podcast in May, which Amy has actually been a guest on, talking about mental health, and that podcast is really all about exploring different ways that small business can make a positive impact in the world. We're so glad to have you, and I really appreciate your awareness and uh, how deeply you care about mental health, and I'm really looking forward to this conversation. We connected when we first met, we connected right away on mental health. That was one of the first things that brought us together and our different personal experiences. And so I'm just really honored that you would join us to share today so we can get to know you. So OCD is the acronym for obsessive compulsive disorder for those that don't know. And one of the things I was sharing with you and what we were talking about before is in the past, I've heard people casually or humorously say, um, that they have OCD when trying to convey their need to be organized or to kind of give an idea of the level of their attention to detail. Um, but one of the things I've learned just in our short conversations with you so far is that the truth is, is that symptoms of OCD often manifest in vastly different ways. And when symptoms are not managed properly, it can have a huge impact on a person's life. So I'm really appreciative of your uh, stepping forward to share with us. And so anyone listening who may be going through the same thing or maybe has a loved one who's experiencing some of these things can hopefully get some insight and also feel less alone through the process. So just kind of getting started, 
when we're talking about OCD, what is it that we're referring to? What, what exactly is OCD and what are some of the ways that it manifests itself in your life? Yeah. So I love you first bringing up the point about how people tend to kind of use the word really trivially. Like, I'm so OCD. I love my books all organized by color or I'm really OCD about cleanliness in my house. And people do it with other mental illnesses also or mental conditions. And I don't feel like deeply hurt when I hear it, but it just kind of irritates me because I'm like, that's not what this is. Like, it's actually kind of a big thing to live with and to trivialize it like that. Just it's, it rubs me the wrong way. So there's my, my gripe up front, but I'm glad you mentioned that. Like you said, OCD manifests itself in a lot of different ways, but really what ties all people with OCD together, I think is it's a thought pattern. So it's about having obsessions and compulsions. It sounds maybe more complicated than it actually is. An obsession is really just a distressing thought that gets in your head and is upsetting to you. And you, if you have OCD, it doesn't wash over you and you don't move on as easily as like an, someone who didn't have OCD would. You obsess about it and you can't stop thinking about it. And it's very hard to sit with and you feel like you have to do something about it. And a compulsion is what is you do about it. So a compulsion is something that you've convinced yourself or you, even if you don't believe it rationally, there's something in you that thinks that when you do the compulsion, you don't have to obsess anymore. So the classic example is probably like hand washing. So someone who has OCD and it manifests themselves in like a fear of contamination or germs, they might wash their hands so much that takes five minutes to wash their hands each time and they do it 10 times an hour. And that's definitely something that some people experience, but that's just one of so many different ways that OCD can manifest. For me, like I said, it's really a thought pattern. So the exact manifestation for me has changed and like kind of evolved. I think I first started experiencing symptoms that really were kind of classic OCD, not that I knew it at the time, but in college. And at that time, I knew that it wasn't maybe like a normal way of processing emotions and, and feeling, but I would just call it irrational anxiety. So I'd say for a few years, I thought of this as irrational anxiety. I didn't know enough about OCD and other mental illness, really, to know that it was more than just like having a lot of anxiety and being stressed out about finals and having that manifest in weird ways. So when I would say the first way that it manifested, which it still kind of does, is about germs, like the sort of classic thing you think about. I was first really afraid that I would, was always concerned about getting some sort of disease from touching something in public. So door handles or, you know, dropping your phone on the ground and then picking, having to pick it up and being very concerned about what was now on your phone or just so many things really anything in public. It's evolved. So I still have that sometime. I know I have that. I do have that still, but it's had different phases too. So I remember when I lived in New York after college, one way that it would manifest itself is I was always extremely concerned that I had left the burner on, on the oven. So I remember I'd leave my apartment, lock up, get to the subway stop, and literally turn around and go back and make sure that it was off, even though I knew it was off because, you know, I was very obsessive about it. 
or forgetting, thinking I forgot to lock my door or that I left my straightener on, just this like not trusting myself. Really, I think a lot of people might have that thought like, oh, maybe I left my straightener on, but they they don't let the discomfort that comes with that fleeting thought sort of overtake them. So for me, it always feels like if you have this thought, you have to do something about it. Like there is some compulsion you can do to make it go away. For a while, you go home, you check the the burner, it's off. It, it always is off for me. Like I never actually left it on. And then for a while, you do feel better, but it's sort of a cycle that then reinforces, oh, this is how you feel better. You do this compulsion that makes the feelings go away. So there's so many ways that it can manifest. There are more superstitious manifestations. So around numbers and the way that you perform certain everyday activities and believing that they have some impact on like outcomes in your life. So not wanting to ever, if you turn the light switch on and off seven times, like you believe you have to do that just in case it possibly has an impact on whatever is this you're concerned about. So it really comes in so many different forms, but the kind of baseline is this pattern of obsessions and compulsions, which are really just upsetting thoughts and the feeling that you can do a compulsion to make them go away. It's really powerful listening to you because I know what you're sharing is really real and vulnerable. And it takes so much growth and courage and time and experience in life to get to the point where you are sharing with people. And I think that really opens a door for other people when they're listening to really feel heard, to really feel validated, to feel seen. So I just want to commend you and thank you for sharing. So with myself, I have really struggled um, with depression, anxiety, and PTSD. I know what it feels like to not share that and to not share that purposely because you don't want the ramifications of whatever that may be, who who you're talking to, you know, how are they going to take that? What are they going to say? Is that, you know, it's just so complicated sometimes. But I also know the feeling of sharing. I know the feeling of feeling like it's right and feeling like it's the next right step to share that and to offer that gift to someone else that that actually feels like the healthy thing to do that you've reached that point where you're, you're able and you have a support system around you to do that. I think that really opens the door for other people who maybe are not there yet, or maybe they're coming up on that point, or maybe they have taken that step to just feel less alone and to bring life to the conversation, to bring our humanity to the conversation. The shame starts to kind of melt away. Assuming you're in good company and the people around you are supportive and receptive, which is going to be something we're going to talk a little bit about coming up here. And the things that we wanted to share in this conversation is talking about how your symptoms of OCD have impacted your quality of life. And you did share a bit here about um, when you first started to realize you were experiencing symptoms of OCD. But if there's anything additional that you would want to share around that, I think that could be really helpful too for anyone who's going, hmm, I relate to some of that. Yeah, I think there's a little more awareness about mental illness in general now than when I was first experiencing symptoms that I couldn't recognize as anything other than just anxieties. I 
didn't even know there was something wrong. So there's, there's no way that I could treat it. I just kind of thought I was a really type A, like over anxious college student. It didn't even occur to me that there is a way that things could be different. So I think that's the first thing is find, you know, anyone listening to this has some awareness that mental illness comes in a lot of different forms. And, you know, that's being able to know and sort of see yourself in stories, I think is the first step. It took me a while to get to that point. I was, I graduated from college and then I was working and living in New York. And I finally kind of figured out, self-diagnosed myself. And I think it took me maybe a couple of years after that to actually go and see someone and get an official diagnosis and start doing some treatment. In terms of exactly how it's gotten in my way, I think it's sometimes easy to overlook the the energy that it takes to have mental illnesses and to deal with them on a daily basis. And I did this for years. I didn't realize why I was so tired by 8 p.m. Like I could not stay up. I didn't want to like go and hang out with people. I just, I wanted to be in bed and sleep and just, I was done for the day a lot earlier than most people. And I actually went and got, you know, blood work done. I, I thought, I might have some physical illness because I could not understand where all my energy was going when, you know, things were not, I wasn't doing as well managing it. I think it's just a lot of years of my life. I've had a lot less energy to live because I've been so preoccupied with dealing with symptoms that, you know, A, the time it takes to kind of just have OCD and think about the obsessions and then do the compulsions that can actually in itself take a lot of time. But then the energy that it, it takes from you to just be kind of dealing with these thoughts all day, you can really lose time. And so I think I'd say the main way that it's manifested is just being really exhausted and not having like the zest for life that I really do have. And when it's managed, I I'm excited about so many things. I love, I have so many hobbies. I have interests. I, I love being around my family and, you know, getting outside. I love so many things. I don't really have the energy for that when I'm deep in like a, a phase of OCD where I'm not, it's not managed very well, which I'm glad to say these days, like it's been years since that's been the case. But the, I remember a summer I had a college internship and I, could go to, I could wake up, I could go to the internship and I'd get home at 5.30 or 6 and get in bed. And that was all I could do. So I'd say for me, yeah, that's probably the main manifestation is just, you know, obviously there's the washing your hands too much and they bleed and crack open and just the physical impacts that it can sometimes have. But more than that, it's really just been what it can take away from your time and your energy. Yeah. And if you feel like you need to hide it, that's a whole other level of energy, Jane. If you feel like, you know, you need to call out of work and you need a day, like you're, it's, you are so drained that's impacting your actual body, your energy, like all of you, your spiritual, mental, emotional, physical being is exhausted and you need a break to restore, but you can't offer up a reason for that. That can be like this whole other layer of drain and sense of isolation and feeling like you're trying to figure out how to slog through it or push through it. So it is, it's hard to kind of really pinpoint 
you know, we can look at it generally, sometimes how these things impact us, but there's some really acute ways too that happen along the way when we are, as a society, not supporting people and getting their rest and recovery and care that they need. If that's not something that's happening in our work environment or our social environment or our relationships or whatnot, then it creates this whole other level of challenges as a person who needs specific support in different ways to try to ask for it. I totally agree with that. And I worked in corporate America until a few years ago. And that in that entire time, it never occurred to me that I needed to take a mental health day, that not feeling well mentally was a reason that maybe I should go home from work a couple hours early and read or relax or try to take care of myself. It never even occurred to me that that was that feeling being in a rough place mentally was reason and totally a good reason enough to take a sick day or to give myself a break and work a little bit less for a week, you know? So that's something now, like as a self-employed person, that's really central to the way I've designed my life is I do work a lot, but if in the middle of the day, I want to take the rest of the day off, most of the time I can make that happen and not feel too bad about it because I work for myself. I, you know, if I have a meeting, I always want to be there for that, but I've just been able to design my life in a way that is much more friendly to having mental illness, even one that's pretty well managed. It still has its moments. So that's a really good point that I think there's starting to be more awareness around mental illness really being not too different from physical illness and a little bit more cultural acceptance of that fact. Speaking of navigating the challenge of moving through everyday life and different environments, you know, managing symptoms is pretty key. So what what does managing your symptoms look like for you? So one of the main treatments for OCD is something called exposure and response prevention, ERP. And what it basically means is exposing yourself to the thing or the thought or the situation that causes anxiety and then preventing yourself from doing the the compulsion. So knowing that you're putting yourself in a situation that's going to be very distressing and just kind of forcing yourself to sit with it without doing the compulsion that normally makes you feel better, at least to some extent. And the way I've heard this described best, I think, is it's the analogy of jumping into a really cold pool. At first, it feels so bad and all you want to do is get out and you can barely sit with it. But the longer you sit there, the less discomfort you have and the more the more you can tolerate this feeling of distress, whatever was the source of it. So ERP, exposure and response prevention, is something that I have done some work with. I wouldn't say I have a really rigid or structured practice around it, but the basic premise of it's okay to have thoughts that make you uncomfortable and just trying to sit with them instead of feeling like you have to solve everything. That is something that I try to practice on a daily basis, and I do better some days than other days. Another thing I've done is start taking medication, which I resisted for reasons I could not explain, but for years, like six or seven years after having been diagnosed before I finally decided to start taking medication a few years ago, even after I'd managed it to some extent. And that for me has been 
amazing. I don't know that I'll be on medication forever, but if I am and it's healthy to do so, I have no problem with that anymore. It it just it's made the day-to-day process of managing this thought pattern that I have so much easier. It's still there. Like I wouldn't say I'm cured. I don't know if you can be cured really of OCD. I think some people it really does go away for, but at this point it's like a daily annoyance that sometimes is worse than others. And I try to look for the silver linings in it. I try to talk about it. I think there are for me ways that, you know, it's helped me have a lot of empathy for other people who struggle with mental illness in a way that I think would have been impossible for me, or at least really difficult if I hadn't experienced it firsthand. So it's not something for me that I really expect to ever totally go away, but I have gotten it to the point where it's, it, I'm okay with that. What would you say is the biggest challenge surrounding managing your symptoms? If there is one, if there's something that kind of stands out or is significant, what, would, what is that? What would that be? I'd say it's probably two things. First, just the effort. And the energy that it it's kind of sucks. And the more you have it managed, the less that will be true. But it does take some amount of effort just to deal with all of the things going on in your head that are created by having OCD. The other thing I would say is it's less for me about stigma at this point and more about people just don't really understand. So if you, if they're, well, just your hands are cracked and they're, bleeding and like blistering because you've been washing them so much like why don't you just wash them less or you know like there's an easy solution to this just don't do that and yes that's true and that is many people's first reaction is to try to rationally talk you out of it out of whatever is harming you about it and I find that extremely frustrating I know it's always coming from a good intention but It's OCD is not something you can ever think or talk your way out of yourself. It's disordered way of thinking. So you can't think your way better. And it's that's just the way it is. You have to go about it some other way. So I think just the dealing with other people who just do not understand and want to make it better and have suggestions. And that probably is, to me, the most difficult. And luckily, I have awesome people around me and family and my partner who all understand and really do everything they can to be as supportive as possible. But, you know, I just wish sometimes that I could put other people in my head so they could know, I like I am doing my best. It's not as simple as like, just don't do this thing that is so irrational to them. So for me, yeah, I would say it's those two things, just the inability to really explain it in a way that people totally understand and the time and energy it takes. Because so many different things have run in my family, uh, like alcoholism, PTSD is a very common one, depression and anxiety. You know, there's a lot of people in my family that struggle with those either consistently or at different times in their life and also schizophrenia. So I, one of the things I learned was don't assume anything really um, and then with my own personal experiences, that's really been reinforced just being on the other end of the conversation when you're trying to talk to someone and they're maybe not quite understanding. I think that's just 
one of the simplest things that can be done and just goes miles is if someone is sharing with you their experience, what they're going through. A lot of the times, the best thing to do is just be supportive, to show compassion and empathy. And no one is expecting you to be a psychologist and to solve the problem. It's just recognize my humanity. And if there's a way that you could be supportive, that I know that that's an option that I could say, you know, I need this support in this way, reasonable ways, you know, appropriate ways. I'm not asking you to to step forward and be something that you're not trained to be, but just to be compassionate and kind and, and empathetic. And I think the other thing, too, that's really helped me to show my empathy and to show my concern for others is if it's appropriate to ask a question. And a lot of times it's not really, but if it is, to ask an open-ended one. So I, I guess it would be, is washing your hands less an option for you rather than you should just wash your hands less? If it's appropriate and you're in a safe conversation and this person trusts you and supports you and it is a natural next step to be offering some kind of support and it looks like making a suggestion or asking a question is that next step to ask it in a very open way rather than a kind of an accusatory or demeaning way. And sometimes people don't realize that they are. It's just kind of a flippant way of saying it. Well, just don't wash your hands. Like, And they're not really meaning it to be callous. But when you're going through it and you've been going through it for years and years, day in and day out, I mean, <laughs> if, that, if that was a solution, you would have done, you know. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a really good point that when it comes to mental health, if like, if you're listening and you don't share the experience of whoever's sharing with you, you really don't have the answers and no one expects you to just listening and maybe helping point them toward something where they could get the answers or get support or therapy or whatever it is like that is what's most helpful is like you said, being gentle, not trying to solve it for them but really just listening. And that's, for me, that's always the kind of listener I'm looking for is just someone who accepts the way that I share it and isn't gonna make me feel like, I don't know, when people give me suggestions that are just like, very rational suggestions, but like, don't really work when you have OCD, it just makes me feel very mis like not understood and not like, oh, you don't, you, you're showing me that you really do not understand this. <laughs> yeah, I think the best thing you can do is exactly like you said, listening and being there. And if the person is looking for, like helping to point them in a direction of someone who could give them, who has the expertise and resources to give them help. But I don't think anyone's ever expecting you to fix it. And just, you know, being there is, goes a long way and just physical act of being there. So I agree with that completely. It really is because you're just reinforcing for this person that you have value and that you care about them because that's kind of, there's two ways this can go. One is that person feels worse about themselves than they did because of the way people are treating them or questioning them or pressuring them or trying to oversimplify the situation. It can make you just want to clam up, want to pull back, want to isolate more, uh, feel worse. Or someone can ask a simple question, you know, show compassion and care and concern and say, 
are you looking for resources and support or just a supportive ear? Even just opening the floor for that person to say, I'm really looking for a supportive ear or I really just feel alone right now and I just wanted to share this with someone. Just like creating that space where someone shows them that you care and being really genuine and and caring and compassionate in the way that you do it, that that's the energy you're putting forth. Not anything insincere or condescending because that's a whole other conversation and a whole other problem. Speaking of meaningful, safe, and supportive connections, how have they helped you on your mental health journey? I was really resonating with something you were saying earlier about shame. I actually had, when I was just thinking about the questions that we're going to talk about today, I made a note about a Brene Brown quote that I love, which is, shame derives its power from being unspeakable. If we cultivate awareness and shame to name it and to speak it, we've basically cut it off at its knees. And for me, that's really something that I, for whatever reason, have kind of intuitively embraced from the beginning. Like I knew I couldn't keep it a secret and I didn't want to. And I have found people to talk to about it. I think you have to have some discernment in who you're sharing with and kind of have the sense that they're going to be a helpful person to, you know, bounce your feelings off of and, and open up to. But I have always run from the idea that I should keep it a secret. And I don't know why I had that instinct, but it's proven to be very helpful to just, yeah, I'm not ashamed of it. I have shared it with bosses. I've shared it with coworkers. I think when I got to the point where I just accepted that it was part of me, I kind of took on this attitude of like, it's part of the package. Like, this is who I am. You know, this is like, maybe not my favorite thing, but it's, it's me and take it or leave it. But like, I'm not gonna be ashamed of it. And I'm not gonna apologize for it the same way I wouldn't if I had some physical illness I was dealing with. So like I said, I didn't do it intentionally. But I think probably that's been the biggest thing for me. It's just you know, I do know some people who have mental illness who have kept it a secret and don't feel empowered or safe to open up. And part of this could be OCD is different from other mental illnesses that, you know, there's it's not often as intense or emotionally difficult than other forms of mental illness. So part of it, I, I, yeah, I don't want to say that this is as easy for everyone, but for me with OCD, it, it has not been too hard to share about. And that's been a really big gift. And I would encourage anyone who feels safe sharing to try to find someone who you can share with. And maybe it's not someone you currently have in your life. Maybe it's, I mean, a therapist would be a great start or a support group of some kind. I know, Amy, you've mentioned different online communities. There are so many ways these days to find people who share your life experiences. And there is nothing like sharing with someone who has the same, who can share that, relate to you in that way. There's, I remember I found a Reddit community of people with OCD, and I'm not really someone who spends time on Reddit. I don't know how I found it, but I just could not, people were sharing memes about it and like just kind of making light of it in ways that I found cathartic to read, but you know, like, oh, other people have this exact same way of thinking. And that 
you know, I don't know too many people in my real life who do. So that was a fun thing to find. I know there are tons of ways you can find community like this online. So other resources, there's a couple of people online, like I don't want to call them influencers, but kind of people who create content about OCD, who I really love following. One is a guy named Mark Freeman, and he has a YouTube channel. And I first saw him, actually, he was writing to people in the OCD forum on Reddit. He was responding to people's comments, but he's got a very popular YouTube channel and he has an Instagram that just kind of talk about his own personal experiences with OCD and how he's really overcome it. He's not a therapist, I don't think, but he, and he's open about that, but he, I've found the way that he sort of talks about it to be really helpful for me and just good reminders. There's a woman on Instagram named Windsor Flynn. I can send you the links if you want to link these in the show notes. But she does a lot of sort of funny content about OCD, which maybe is not up any everyone's alley. But for me, it makes me laugh and it makes me feel like I I relate so strongly to her. And it's nice to see content like that because it is something that so few people can really truly understand. So those are my, I would say just being open about it in terms of the people around me, um, finding people who I feel really safe sharing with and talking about it with and telling them what I need. And then, yeah, finding other people who, who also have OCD with whatever that looks like, whether it's in person or online or just following people who share content that feels good for me to, to read. That's been really helpful too. Those are really good suggestions and something that people can tap into on a regular basis and feel connected and feel really seen and heard and understood and part of something greater than themselves too. Are there other resources that have helped you along the way, just as we're kind of on in this vein, um, talking about what's helped you? um, And I guess this could be something separate from connections, just anything that's been a real supportive resource for you. Yeah. I do think the number one thing is connection. So whether it's therapy, sharing with friends, life coaching or coaching or of some kind, like having someone to talk to about it, I think is awesome and has been really helpful for me. I like to write about it too. I write, I mostly write things that I share. So I'm not a big journaler as much as post things online or share things with friends or try to be helpful for someone else who has OCD. Also, I try to speak up during things like mental health awareness, weeks and days. And, you know, that always feels good for me and feels safe for me. That's going to be different from person to person, but sharing, I guess. And then I do, because I do art, I do watercolor it's not directly a treatment for OCD, I would say, but finding things that are like physical things of doing with your hands. For me, they just have a way of putting me in a better mind space. So I like to spend a few hours whenever I can just watercoloring flowers or I also do calligraphy. And I think it's important not to feel like you have to be good at these things. Like you don't have to, and certainly I was pretty awful when I first started watercolor. I never expected it to turn into anything besides a hobby. But just the the feeling of like using your hands and focusing on something outside of your mind 
I always come out of it in a better place than I entered it. So, and then I, you know, I think mindfulness is a big thing for OCD because OCD is really about you're trying to control everything in your present reality. And part of mindfulness is stepping away and being able to see yourself from, from the outside and just observe things and observe the thoughts that you're having. I wouldn't say I have a great practice around mindfulness. I think it always feels good when I do sit down and listen to a meditation, but I don't want to say that I'm, I'm, I've got a great practice around it. But yeah, I think probably for me, the biggest is just expression of some kind. So whether it's writing or creating. So we've touched on um, this a little bit already, but I want to see if you uh, have any other thoughts that you'd want to share around this topic, just because it's so important when it comes to support for the person who's navigating through a mental health challenge, and then maybe also for somebody else who's trying to support someone with a mental health challenge. So the question or the topic really is, um, what would you say to somebody who's looking for insight on how to support someone experiencing symptoms specifically for OCD? It's a really good question. And first of all, I would say that I appreciate anyone who's looking for ways to be more supportive to anyone in their life that has mental illness, like including OCD. With mental illness in general, I would say, like we've talked about, just listening and giving that space to share things that people might be inclined inclined to be ashamed about or might feel like it's safest to keep to themselves, just providing that judgment-free space to share. For OCD specifically, I think the biggest piece of advice I have is that you cannot think your way out of it. I have, you know, I think part of OCD can be when you're dealing with an obsession, it's you can find yourself trying to think your way through it. Like, okay, why is this okay? Like, let me talk, let me figure out, figure it out in my head why I don't need to do the compulsion or why, whatever it is. So I think just keeping in mind that this is a thought ish, this is a pattern of thought that the more kind of oxygen you give it, the harder it is to get through. So not believing that you can fix it yourself, not believing you can talk your way through it. I think it's seductive to try to figure it out yourself and to try to think through everything. And it just doesn't work. So that would be my biggest piece of advice is to seek treatment in some way. Maybe you start by just finding a community of other people who share the same experience. I think therapy is an amazing gift you can give to yourself that just, it's just transformational when you get the right setup with that. And I know Emerge Thriving is all about connecting people with resources like that. For me, being open to medication, I had some resistance to, I don't know why, but I will say just having, like when I started taking medication, my personality didn't change. I Nothing about me changed except that my sort of baseline anxiety level was a little bit lower. And that enabled me to better manage having OCD. And it's really, that's the only, like there are a few side effects in the beginning. They passed. And then my life is exactly the same, except one of the parts that was the hardest about it is a little bit less hard. So I would really encourage people to just be open-minded about 
medication. I know a lot of people resist it like I did. So those are the things I would say. I would also say just know that you're not alone in it. There's, I love encountering stories and messages of people who have the same thing because it can feel isolating when you're looking around at people in your life and being like, oh, none of these people have to deal with this or none of these people can relate. And they, when I meet someone with OCD and I can explain to them like, oh, I'm having this thing about this, they can understand it in a way that no one else can. It really makes a world of difference. So it's sad to say, but we are coming up on a point where we are naturally going to part ways. And so my question is, is there a final thought that you'd like to share with us before we conclude our conversation today? I think I would just really commend anyone listening who wants to learn more about uh, mental illness, specifically types of mental illness that they don't have. I think the more you learn, the better kind of citizen of the world you can be in terms of how you react to other people and what kind of support you can be for them. So just keep learning, keep sharing, keep talking about it, keep, you know, doing the the work that Emerge Thriving does in trying to destigmatize mental illness. I think just keep making it a topic of conversation and something that's a part of life as normal as any physical illness that we experience. So just, you know, doing what you can to kind of advance this conversation and this destigmatizing process. It really all adds up. And we're not a world of one person. We're a world of many, 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 many people. And if we want to change something or to influence the possibility of change, then it, it really matters that we all contribute in some way, whether that's caring for yourself and finding some ways that you're comfortable with your self-expression, journaling, painting, talking with a friend, talking with a therapist. It can be simple like that or speaking up and speaking out um, in bigger ways. If we're all coming together and taking steps, and doing what feels right and feel natural and feels good for us and, and where we're at in our journey, then we can really affect huge, monumental, sustainable change that will change our lives, the lives of people we love and care about, and the lives of people coming up after us. And so I really appreciate you taking the time today to share with us and then in all the other ways that you're sharing with people because that's so important and it's really creates space and makes it something good to share. It takes something that could otherwise feel shameful or something that we hide in. It feels like a mark on our life experience and really kind of owning it and caring for yourself and getting the support you need that's right for you and then taking those steps to get to a point where you're able to speak and share with other people and encourage them along the way to do the same. That's life-changing. Thank you. Yeah, it's been a journey to get to the point where I can see silver linings in it. I appreciate you saying that. I'm not sorry that I've had this journey. I know not everyone will feel that way, but for me, it's just, it's opened my eyes to a world that I 
probably would not have been able to be as empathetic and understanding about and seen the importance in otherwise. It's such important work. And I love what your organization is doing, Amy. And yeah, just happy to have a conversation with anyone who relates or wants to chat or has something in common. Find, definitely find me online or email and I'm here for it. So <laughs> thank you for having me. We're here for you too. We want to support you. And um, on that note, where can we find you? How can we stay connected and engaged? You can find me online. So I have, like I said, a few different things going on. Stationary line is called Good Sheila. And it's the website is Good Sheila, G-O-O-D-S-H-E-I-L-A.com. Retail shop, which is in Seattle and online is Station 7 Seattle. So the word station, number 7, seattle.com. And then probably the best place to connect with me to have conversations like these would be on social media for the podcast. On Instagram, that's at Making Good Podcast. And the website is makinggoodpodcast.com. I look forward to it. And I know so many other people do too. We are going to seek you out and be connected and stay connected and support you. Thank you so much for joining us today, for sharing your personal experiences, your insights, and your perspectives. We appreciate you, Lauren, and we look forward to staying connected. Thank you so much for having me, Amy. If you have a wellness topic that is important to you, let us know by visiting emergethriving.com forward slash podcast.